you're not good enough to be in this college, please leave my office. It's been 20-something years since that. I will never forget that because I cried that day. I didn't know what I was going to study. I was like, what the hell? I'm not cut out to be an engineer. I'm barely struggling with mathematics. Like, I'm barely making it. That's when my professor was like, you just need to put more time in it. You need to, like, study harder. And look at me now. I got a PhD in math. You know, he was wrong. What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Artists of Data Science podcast. My goal with this podcast is to share the stories and journeys of the thought leaders in data science, the artists who are creating value for our field through the content they're creating, the work they're doing, and the positive impact they're having within their organizations, industries, society, and the art of data science as a whole. I can't even begin to express how excited I am that you're joining me today. My name is Harpreet Sohota, and I'll be your host as we talk to some of the most amazing people in data science. Today's episode is brought to you by Data Science Dream Job. If you're wondering what it takes to break into the field of data science, check out dsdj.co forward slash artists with an S for an invitation to a free webinar where we'll give you tips on how to land your first job in data science. I've also got a free open mastermind Slack community called the Artists of Data Science Loft that I encourage everyone listening to join. I'll make myself available to you for questions on all things data science and keep you posted on the bi-weekly open office hours that I'll be hosting for our community. Check that out at artofdatascienceloft.slack.com. Community is super important and I'm hoping you guys will join the community where we can keep each other motivated, keep each other in the loop on what's going on with our own journeys so that we can learn, grow, and get better together. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode and don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, love, rate, and review the show. Our guest today is a cross-disciplinary expert who leverages his expertise in computational modeling and applied mathematics to solve tough business problems. He's a forward-thinking team player whose strategic perspective, stellar deal-making skill, and dynamic communication style has led to the successful negotiation of numerous multi-million dollar contracts. He's earned a bachelor's in mathematics from University of Illinois at Chicago, a master's in mathematics from the University of Michigan, an MBA from Grand Canyon University. And if that wasn't impressive enough, already. He's since gone on to earn a PhD in applied mathematics and computational neurosciences from Arizona State University with a dissertation titled A Mathematical Model of Dopamine Neurotransmission. He co-established a faculty volunteer-run mathematics tutoring center at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona that has helped improve course completion and retention rates. He's a writer and presenter of five technical reports and has been invited to 15 scientific lectures and poster presentations 
presentations in Chile, Peru, and the United States, garnering more than $100,000 in academic funding. Most recently, he was invited to present at the Phoenix Power Platform World Tour Conference in December of 2019. He's worked in numerous academic roles at Arizona State University and Grand Canyon University before entering the industry as an analyst at Raza Development Fund and eventually going on to start his own consulting firm, Esperanza Analytics Solutions, a company whose mission is to gather, process, and evaluate public and private data to advance the understanding of nonprofits and small business communities. So please help me in welcoming our guest today, a man who has impacted the lives of thousands of students and continues to give back to the community, Dr. David Tello. David, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to speak with me today. You know, I typically ask my guests what brought them into data science, and you know, we'll definitely get to that. But I think it's really important for anyone who's listening that you share your journey, how you got to where you are now. So you immigrated to Chicago from Peru in 1993 during a really tough economic time in your country, and you ended up going to school where influences could have easily derailed you. Looking at you know where you are now and everything you accomplished, it's such an inspiring story. Could you talk to us about some of the hardships that you had to overcome during such a crucial transition time and, and how it's helped you in pursuit of all you've accomplished today? So in Peru from 1985 to 1980, we suffered the same thing that Venezuela is suffering now, which is hyperinflation. Things went crazy expensive. In 1992, the bank where my mother used to be a secretary actually closed and we had to move with my grandparents and at some point we were it was 14 of us living in a house that or not even a house it was an apartment that had four bedrooms and I was sleeping with a cousin and my grandpa uh, my grandfather in a single room so that's when my mother told my father you need to take him to the United States my father was already here in the United States and she was referring to my sister and I so we came to Chicago and you know as immigrants we think that everybody in the United States is rich, right? Yeah, United States. But when I got here to Chicago, my dad was um, renting a single one bedroom and the bedroom was taken by my sister. And it was my father and I sleeping in the living room, two beds, two separate beds. And we only have a few pots and four chairs and a table. That was, that wow. was the way I started the United States. So how did you how did you kind of develop and cultivate your interest in mathematics and then ultimately data science? I went to school and I always liked numbers, right? You know, so, but it was difficult expressing myself in English. Thank to the Lord or, or whatever you want to call it, luck, that I never get in, got into gangs or anything like that. I graduated high school. I went to the University of Illinois, Chicago. Because I didn't speak that much of English, I got placed in probation, but I met this professor, a Chilean professor. He was like, I'll teach you math. You just need to try and work hard. Just like you said at the beginning of today, you know, I work myself to learn mathematics. Mathematics literally turn my life around. It's the language of the universe, right? It's the universal language. I have this saying, I'm married to knowledge and mathematics is my best man. So so I read in your post, the story of my American dream, uh, that yes. you met a professor from the University of Chicago that said to you, it's clear that your first derivative is positive. The question is, is your second der- derivative positive? And when I read that, man, like, you know, my eyes started welling up and I got goosebumps because it's profound on so many levels. Levels. Uh, can you talk to us about what your interpretation of that meant and why that quote has stuck with you for all these years? That's actually two quotes, and I'll tell you the second one when, after I tell you the story of this one. So when I started at UIC, like I say, my first three semesters went okay, but by the end of the third semester, I was 
place in academic probation because I came from a school that most people were glad that they graduated alive than they graduated with, with grades, right? The, the best student in high school graduated with a 30 in the ACT my year, and I think the record still stands. And I only had a 17. Throughout my bachelor's, I struggled a lot, but then slowly I improved, improved, improved. Like, my, like I told you, my professor taught me and then by the end, I was that I, when I was graduating my bachelor's, that's when I decided to go to grad school. And that's when I had I had done a research at the University of Iowa. And the man that I did research with wrote a letter of recommendation for me, and he gave it to me. And he happened to be a co-author of the professor at Chicago. Since the, the University of Chicago was just a couple of miles away from where I went to school, I emailed him and asked for a meeting. And I went to him and I said, look, I'm thinking applying to here to Chicago, but it's $50 application plus blah, blah, blah. You know, I'd rather you tell me here now whether it makes sense for me to apply. Mm -hmm. So here's my letter recommendation. Here are my unofficial transcripts. You tell me whether I'll cut it up or not. He was the director of grad school at that time. He saw my grades, was not impressed at all. I mean, I graduated with the C plus average. And then he read the letter of recommendation and I can tell that he was like, confused because my grades say one thing, but I'm pretty sure that the letter recommendation said something somewhat impressive because when I did my summer research, I worked my tail off to be the best that summer. That's probably why he said, look, it's clear that you're, you got it better with time, right? I mean, let, let's explain to people what it means to have a first derivative positive and a second derivative positive or negative. There's only two outcomes on that curve. You're either going like E slowly and you're going up and you keep going up forever or you go in like logarithms right that you keep you go up really fast but then you're getting slower and slower and lower i couldn't tell you myself which one was going to be mm -hmm. i didn't know that i got better with time but had i been in his shoes i'm not sure if i would have said the same thing but he clearly you know at least for the university of chicago i can guarantee you i was not ready for that program so he did me a favor by telling me that. Because hmm. when I walked out of his office, I knew I was not cut out to, to you know, send the application and get a rejection letter. He told me, unless you get like a 800 on the sub math subject for the GRE, don't even bother because we won't, we won't have that. But another quote that was I was told on my fifth, sixth semester of, of UIC when, when I was getting out of probation that you're going to love was, at that time, I was taking calculus two or three with my engineering uh, friends, and I saw that they were not, you know, they were, they were not smarter than I was. They, was. they were as good as I was. So when I heard that they were going to get jobs where they paid $60,000, $70,000, and I was like, why can't I get that same job, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I applied to engineering, or I wanted to apply to engineering. I went to talk to the engineering college, and a man there that I won't tell you who his name, what his name is, told me, you just took freshman biology and took linear algebra. You got a B in linear algebra, but you failed freshman biology. I was like super happy, super proud. I was like, yeah, I understand linear algebra, but I just don't get biology. I thought it was a good thing. After he repeated for three times, I realized he's not thinking this is good. He's actually thinking it's bad. Mm -hmm. After that, he told me, you're not good enough to be in this college. Please leave my office. It's been 20-something years since that. I will never forget that because I cried that day. I didn't know what I was going to study. I was like, what the hell? I'm not cut out to be an engineer. 
I'm barely struggling with mathematics. Like I'm barely making it. That's when my professor was like, you just need to put more time in it. You need to like study harder. And look at me now. I got a PhD in math. You know, yeah, he man. was wrong. That's powerful, man. That's so powerful. Uh, yeah, man. Ooh, I've got, got chills going on right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, so you also said some, uh, that are, that really s- struck out to me, um, as being very, very powerful. Like you said that, being in Michigan taught you that you need to be around mathematicians that looked like you. I think that's a real powerful statement, man. And I absolutely love it. Uh, cause in many ways, as, as a data scientist, you're a minority because the field is filled with so many people who you know, look, look like me, Indian and Asian. Uh, so would you mind talking to us a little bit about what it's like to be a minority in this field? And if you have any advice for anyone that's facing similar challenges today. So to me, being a minority in the field of data scientists is different than it was being a minority in the field of mathematics. Mm-hmm. And the big difference is today I'm a grown man, and back then I'm, I was a boy. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up in the city of Chicago in the 1990s, everybody wanted to be Michael Jordan. Everybody <laughs> wanted to be Scottie Pippen. You know, yeah. those like you wanted to fly like Michael, right? Yeah. In, in, and that's when you start developing and noticing that you want to be what you are actually looking up to. Yeah. So when I went to UIC and I saw the, the, the people in the math department, there was one Latino professor, which was a Chilean guy, and I was one black professor who was also assistant dean at the Cultural Area Arts. And then, you know, they were strong, but they were one of each in a department that was like 80-something people. Yeah. When I went to Michigan, there was a few of them that, you know, were color professor to, to say that, you know, not disrespectfully, but, you know, yeah. there were some professors that were colored, and there were a few people that didn't care about race, and they treated, re, re, treated me really nice. But they, in the entire city, the only place where I felt comfortable that I spoke Spanish was at a... Burrito place across the street from the math apartment that I don't even know if it's still there. It was called Pancheros. And I felt comfortable with the people that cleaned the, the, the offices, you know. To me, that was like, I learned with the years that it wasn't about race. Not at all. It was about social economics. I came from nothing. And the professors that I was, you know, interacting with, they had everything, if you want to say. And when I met the the professors, the minority professors that I met, I realized these folks also came from nothing. So that's what I actually came to understand what it was like. I was like, it had nothing to do with race. It has everything to do that they came from nothing. They built themselves into something. They became great names in the field. And look at them. Nobody judges them now. And in data science, I don't feel like a minority. Even when somebody, and I know a lot of people who are better programmers, than I am. When somebody comes and try to disrespect me, you know, quote and unquote, I I know what I'm able to do. And I know that I might not be able to code the logistic regression right now really fast in Python, but let's just talk about the logistic regression. I can guarantee you I can go toe to toe with whoever wants to do it. My skills are so much better than I was when I was 20 years ago that I don't feel a minority. Like, mm. you know, and for whatever kid wants to get into data science, just 
do it and find somebody that will be willing to coach you. Like I told you at the beginning, you're a great example. When we go to DSDJ, you're there, you open, you answer questions, you're, you're peer to, what's her name that is in San Francisco? Mm, she's she's a great resource, you know? Yeah. She actually yeah. helped me to get to be in the job that I'm currently, you know? Yeah. I, I, Are you an aspiring data scientist struggling to break into the field? Well, then check out dsdj.co forward slash artists to reserve your spot for a free informational webinar on how you can break into the field. That's going to be filled with amazing tips that are specifically designed to help you land your first job. Check it out. dsdj.co forward slash artists. I, I right now I'm working for the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka, and I'm not sure if the audience knows that what is the Federal Home Loan Bank. But the Federal Home Loan Bank system was created by the U.S. Congress in 1932. So this is one of the most elite, elite prestigious banking institutions that you can find in the United States. And it was really hard to get a job here, and I um, have no idea how how proud, how tearful I was the night that I arrived here. That I was like, I'm actually going to be working on this bank tomorrow at 8:30 a.m. Oh man, yeah. I mean, there's nothing can compare to achieving your goal. Nothing can compare to achieving your dream, man. So I could I could imagine how ecstatic you were. And I mean, it's just a testament to all the hard work that you've put in to get to where you are. I mean, such an inspiring story, right? Just having a kid that just has a love of mathematics and then going to reach out to professors that are saying you might not have what it takes to eventually getting a PhD in mathematics. But it's it's not like it was easy for you to get your PhD, right? And I saw your post on LinkedIn uh, about that experience you went through for your qualifying exam. Can you kind of recount that story for us here, uh, if you don't mind? And you know what has that experience taught you about yourself? I fail the qualifiers exams more times than I can count. I mean, you've been in grad school, you know, what it's like yeah. within the first two years you got to prove yourself and now that i've been a professor now that i'm out in the field of industry and everything i can tell you from a personal perspective asking a student to vomit knowledge in two hours this is stupid you know because it doesn't tell you anything about whether they're going to be able to graduate or not when i took those exams i studied studied the first few times i fail i fail every time i fail i was ready to pack up and go back to Chicago. I was here in Arizona. I was ready to pack up and go back to Chicago. I mean, I actually recall going one time to Chicago. That's right before the statistics exam and telling my friends, I'm not going back. I'm actually probably going to go cancel my ticket tomorrow. And they're like, no, you have to go back. You're like the only one of us that left UIC, graduated, went to grad school, it keeps pushing, keeps pushing, and it's this close to getting this PhD. You're not allowed to stay here. You get your ass back in that plane and get back and pass that exam. That's what I had another friend of mine that she's a professor at community college right now. I remember very clear that year, the movie Rocky Balboa came out. You know, that is scene where, where the uh, Rocky is talking to his son and saying, it's not about how, ma- how hard you can, you can hit, right? It's yeah. how many times you can get hit. Get thrown on the floor, get your ass back, dust it off, and get back on that goddamn brain. Life will teach you more than any classroom will do. And I have experienced probably the most 
painful life experience, which was the loss of my mother three years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And it didn't throw me to the floor. It almost did, but it didn't. That's that's powerful. So so the night before your PhD qualifying exam, the power goes out. Can you, can you talk to us about that? So I don't know if you've ever been in Phoenix, Arizona during the I've been summer. there once. I've been there once in the summer. That shit is not pleasant. Damn <laughs> right. I mean, Phoenix, Arizona can get as hot as 120 degrees, and the night is not forgiving either. We're talking about 100 degrees. 100 degrees indoors get hot. Now, I'm trying to study. It's uh, The exam was going to be at the beginning of the semester, and the semester starts sometimes in August, so we're talking late August. July and I was are not forgiven months in, in Arizona. <laughs> so I'm studying and then the part was off. I call my, my super. I'm like, hey, look, I got a test. You know, I got, this is hot. He's like, sorry, bro, this is the weekend. I cannot go fix it. You know, you got to put some fence and all. So I went and got some fence, trying to run the fence, keep studying. I'm sweating, like dripping sweat on the papers. Just trying to solve some integrals. So I called my friend who lived like two miles away in a better, you know, apartment complex than I did. And I was like, dude, I, the exam is tomorrow. I can't think with so much heat. She's like, just bring your sleeping bag, come over. You can study here in the living room. Are you should have studied until late. You know, you're welcome to crash here and then just go to the, the exam right away because the exam was like midday or something. Mm-hmm. So I did. I went, I studied, studied, kept working problems, working problems, you know. And then I just crashed, got up and just ran to the test. The rest is history, huh? The rest was history. So inspiring, man. So now, now let's get into the into the into the present now, man. So let's let's get into Esperanza Analytic Solutions. You know, what's the inspiration for for starting the company? What's the company all about? Can you talk to us a bit about that? So when I started the company, I recently had resigned from Russell Development Fund. I when I resigned from Russell Development Fund at that point, I met my friend, now business par- partner, Mark. Barbauer. He actually was, um, he's an instructor in a company called Thinkful. And he helped me start getting more acquainted with Python, gave me a list of videos to, to work on. And he's been my resource for Python back forth. You know, I, I, I kept thinking, okay, so I need, I need to make money and I need to keep studying Python. So what do I do, right? I learned through my previous job that it's not that hard to make an LLC. You only need $85, literally. You know, with an $85, you put yourself with an LLC. You have your own company. Now you're on your own boss. Now the hard thing about getting an LLC is now you got to find clients. So when I did that, I set up the the company and everything. and, And the goal was to try to... Teach people, you know, or teach uh, nonprofits in small businesses the power of their own data. If you give me your data and I'll I, I analyze it for you, and then I'll show you how to make more revenue based on what your data is saying. However, as you and I know, and not everybody understands the power of data right now. It's very yeah. difficult, right? Especially those who are not programmers or don't have a, an analytical background. So we tried for a little bit of time and as things, you know, kept going, kept going, you know, I had my bank account started going down, going down. And when I reached a threshold, you know, my wife was like very supporting until we started to reach that threshold. She's <laughs> like, you know, it might be time for you to start applying for a job. 
Because if yeah. you cannot make the company come up, you know, then I need you to I need you to provide for us, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's what how I started applying to jobs, and I ended up here in the bank. I mean, the name of the company came actually because my mom's middle name was Esperanza, and my daughter's middle name is Esperanza, and Esperanza means hope. You know, that's what I probably is my 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 flagship i live with hope because if i didn't have hope trust me i would have been all all over and done many years ago i mean i read through some of the letters that your students have written to you on a recent linkedin post of yours Mm -hmm. Uh, in your time as a lecturer you've impacted thousands of students Uh, so what advice do you have for any student out there who's struggling with the learning and upskilling that's required to become a data scientist the man that you see in front of you has ADD and is this uh, is dyslexic, which is probably not the, the the things that you would expect on somebody who has a PhD in mathematics. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people will say that they don't go together. Just like you said, my you know my days at least when I was young, you know my days were six, sixteen hours long days of I get up, I eat breakfast, I study until I'm drop dead of being tired. I have gone 24 hours, 30 hours. I think the longest day per se that I went is like 50 something hours where I just drink a power drink, kept going, you know, kept going, kept going, going, like pour everything out in the computer, on the books or keep going, keep going. And just like you say, I don't consider myself smart at all. Believe me. I know of people that are 10 times smarter than I am, but I have reached a lot farther than a lot of people because I didn't give up. I mm-hmm. kept going. I kept going. No matter how tired, how how difficult. My African-American professor from UIC once told me that he too failed PhD exams. And on his very last one, he was a student at Purdue in the 60s. And you know that Purdue is a mainly Caucasian uh, Caucasian town. In the very last one, he was told either pass the exam or get out. He went and read his book cover to cover. Every single problem he solved, and he passed the exam, he became a professor where I went to undergrad. I had to do sometimes the same thing. You read the damn book cover to cover, no matter what. You solve every single problem if you have to. A lot of people want to have this big job, dream job of 100000 I want that for everybody. But the, just like you want something that it's a nice, well, reward, be willing to put the hard work. What's up, artists? Check out our free open mastermind Slack channel, the Artists of Data Science Loft at artofdatascienceloft.slack.com. I'll keep you posted on the bi-weekly open office hours that I'll be hosting, and it's a great environment and community for all of us to talk all things data science. Look forward to seeing you there. One last question before we jump into the lightning round. There's already so much here that people can learn from your journey. So this question might seem a bit redundant, but what's the one thing you want people to learn from your story? If you are an immigrant or even if you were born here in the United States and rural United States, the American dream is still 100% possible. It's all about, all about alternatives, all about decisions, and all about opportunities. 
by now I know better that poverty, it's all around and it doesn't discriminate. I know people of different shapes, colors, and backgrounds that are broke poor. I'm talking not even $10 an hour a job. As I know, by now I can sit on a table and break bread with somebody who's extremely poor and be really happy and be grateful that we're sharing bread the same way that I can sit in a restaurant, high-end restaurant, uh, wear a tuxedo and eat a $60 steak with the CEO. I'm able to do both, but I'm able to do both because I had to teach myself that it was okay to want something big. It was okay that to want to have that $1,000 suit because sometimes we feel that that's unreachable and that's not true. It's very reachable if, if you work hard. I love it. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into our, our lightning round here. Mm -hmm. So Python or R? Both. The same way that I would say English or Spanish, which one is better? Or both. Favorite classification algorithm? I actually been thinking about that one for a little bit. And, I, and to be honest, I don't know all of them. I remember on one session that you were there and I, and I asked you a question and you say, don't be scared to, to apply even if you're not done with the entire course. You know, I learned the basics and then just started applying until something worked. So what's your favorite question to ask in an interview? The, fir the first favorite question that I learned to ask in an interview actually came from Kyle. Kyle has this, uh, the very first webinar that he puts out in, where he says, you know, to ask the interviewer, what is it that you love about working here? When I heard that one, I went to my wife. I'm like, baby, did you ever ask this question in an interview? Because I never asked that question. My wife was like, that's a good question. I actually never yeah. asked. And, you know, the more we thought about it, the more, more questions came out to me, you know, like, oh, what kind of problems uh, do you guys solve as a team? What kind of necessities you have? You know, all this other set of questions that are uh, right around mine, but it was Kyle's question that put the, the root of my head because before I didn't used to ask questions. Yeah, man. All it takes is seed, a little water, and then the illumination yep. of your own intelligence, right? And it's just ideas that start coming to you, man. So what's the weirdest question that you've been asked in an interview? Not long ago, somebody asked me, what's your goal for your personal life in the next year? And I say, taking my daughter to a uh, father-daughter's dance. Then somebody also asked me, what's the hardest thing you ever had to supersede in life? And like I told you before, it was my mother's death. When my mom passed away, I thought I was done. I thought I was going into depression. Thank God that my daughter was born three months later. Now that I was thinking about it for your interview, you know, my daughter roots back all the way to the professor of the University of Chicago, and I'll tell you how. Because that question assumed that my knowledge was a polynomial of degree two, or even per se. I realized in my life that the moment my daughter was born, I became, my knowledge became polynomial or odd polynomial because my daughter was my inflection point. Oh, wow. The moment she was born, I didn't care how tired I was. I didn't care. You know, I remember telling my wife when I was done with my PhD saying, I'm done. I don't need to learn anymore. You know, I crossed that route where I proved myself. But then when my kid was born, that's when I got more into programming. That's when I got more into reading more books, into studying more. She was my inflection point. I was already throwing the towel, but wanting to give her a better life, the life I never had, has been my, my drive in the last couple of years. I love that analogy. 
covered a lot here, man. I want to know if there's there's anything that I missed that you want us to know about. First and foremost, thank you. Thank uh, thank the DSDJ team because you guys are awesome. I mean, I, we, I just go to Slack and throw a couple of questions. And like I say, you're, you're Pierre for San Francisco and her name escapes me, can't remember. One of the interviews here for the Federal Home Loan Bank, they asked me a question the next day. I went to office hours with Makiko and said, hey, have you heard of this algorithm that they asked me? She was like, hmm, what about this one? And pointed out to a, a book and I went and researched and I happened to go to a, the next round in interview and I actually told the interviewer, so the algorithm that you asked me before, and they were like, you actually looked it up? I was like, uh, yeah, I actually. So it helped, right? You know, I'm pretty sure it impressed them because they gave me the job afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> the, the things that you guys do are so amazing. You guys are changing lives, and I appreciate that a lot, you know. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, just, just for anybody listening, this is not a paid advertisement. <laughs> it's not. It is completely volunteer, 100%. Yeah, and I appreciate, I appreciate those kind words. Uh, so how can these people connect with you? People can just send me an email to D-Tello, uh, D-Tello, T as in Tom, E-L-L-O, Bravo, B-R-A-V-O at M-E dot com. Or just reach me in LinkedIn. Me and my friend Mark Barbao, B-A-R-B-O-U-R. We want to help people as much as possible. Mark is another great scientist. Uh, he's self-taught and he has helped so many people by now. And he himself helped me. So we want to pay it forward. Awesome, man. I love that. Yeah, definitely. I'll put that contact information in the show notes. Thank you again, man. Really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. It's been a, a privilege and an honor to sit here and speak with you today. So thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you, Harper. I appreciate everything. <laughs>